I hope you are getting a lot of information, instruction, advice from James. I certainly am. This is a, a rich, rich book. Two kinds of wisdom, two kinds, and yet one is a sham. Would you stand, please, as we read these scriptures, starting with verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's like a checklist, a yardstick. If you, if you think this might be wisdom that comes from heaven, measure it against that list of characteristics. And finally, how is it applied? Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Amen. Thank you for your reverent attention to the word of the Lord. You know, there's some pretty wise commentary in there, uh, Gail. Two kinds of wisdom, and one of them is a sham. And the checklist. Thank you. Uh, before we dive into this portion of uh, Scripture today from James chapter 3, just want to remind you that um, after service today, we are all, get that word, that's inclusive, everyone here, Invited to move to the gym. Uh, that's what we celebrate um, by eating. That's what we do. And, uh, you know, we, we talk uh, from time to time about the fact that we're an older church and we need to look younger. But let me tell you one great advantage of an older church. Experienced cooks. So when we eat... It's really good. And um, so it's, we're celebrating together today. It's Pastor Appreciation Month, but we, we kind of, it all comes together on this Sunday. And uh, you're all invited. You say, oh, I didn't bring anything. That doesn't matter. We have never run out of food, ever. In fact, we could have a few more come in and we'd still have plenty of food. And even if you don't appreciate the pastor, you're still invited. <laughs> To come today, okay? So, there you go. Well, we're back to the book of James. Um, we had a break last week, but we're back. Um, the passage we're dealing with this morning concerns wisdom. Two kinds of wisdom. Um, 
James contrasts the two, but the wisdom we should desire is not generally the kind we think of as smarts or intelligence or how much we learned in school or from reading lots of books or that we even gain from experience, although that might factor in a little bit. Rather, the kind of wisdom we're talking about comes with spiritual maturity, growing in our relationship with Jesus. The wisdom that James is talking about is what we might call heavenly wisdom. And James tells us that those who are truly wise reveal their wisdom in the things they do, the way they live their lives. So I'm going to tell a couple stories. uh, The first one has to do with the smartest man in the world. Um, Before I do the next one, I'll ask permission, okay? A minister, a Boy Scout, and a computer expert were the only passengers on a small plane. The pilot came back to the cabin and said that the plane was going down, but there were only three parachutes and four people. The pilot added, I should, I should have one of the parachutes because I have a wife and three small children. So he took one, strapped it on, and jumped. The computer whiz said, I should have one of the parachutes because I am the smartest man in the world and everyone needs me. So he took one and jumped. The minister turned to the Boy Scout and with a sad smile said, You're young and I have lived a rich life, so you take the remaining parachute. I'll go down with the plane. The Boy Scout said, Relax, Reverend. The smartest man in the world just picked up my knapsack and jumped out. (laughs) Wisdom is revealed in the things we do. Now, the next one is a a blonde thing. Is it okay? Because I don't, you know, I don't want any angry parishioners at the dinner following. There was a typical blonde. She had long blonde hair, blue eyes, and was sick of blonde jokes. One day, she decided to get a makeover, so she cut and dyed her hair. She also went out and bought a brand new convertible. She went driving down a country road and came across a herd of sheep. She stopped and called the sheep herder over. That's a nice flock of sheep, she said. Well, thank you, said the herder. Tell you what, I have a proposition for you, said the woman. If I can guess the exact number of sheep in your flock, can I take one home? Sure, said the sheep herder. So the girl sat up and looked over to the herd for a second and then replied, 382. Wow, said the herder. That's exactly right. Go ahead and pick out a sheep that you want to take home. So the woman went and picked one out and put it in her car. Then the herder said, Okay, now I have a proposition for you. What is it? asked the woman. If I can guess the real color of your hair, can I have my dog back? (laughs) Are the blondes laughing now? (laughs) the Hebrew people clearly understood that true wisdom was not intellectual but behavioral thus the biggest fool was one who knew truth and failed to apply it and so James you know what I love about the book of James is 
I've always called the book of James the rubber meets the road book. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of theology in, in many of Paul's letters and, and James, I think, takes that theology and says, here's what it looks like when you live it out, where the, where the rubber meets the road. And so he's talking about wisdom today, and, and he contrasts, again, two kinds of wisdom. And he says, true wisdom is active. True wisdom is active. Just as faith without works is meaningless or dead, so too wisdom does not, that does not show itself in good deeds and good character is worthless. While wisdom is needed, it's it's all too often neglected. James asks, who is wise and understanding among you? See, wisdom is the application of what we've learned, what we know of knowledge. The The word understanding in this passage has an interesting meaning. It speaks of a specialist or professional who could skillfully apply his expertise in practical situations. That's what happens if you take the Greek word and break it down. That's what it's referring to. So when James asks that question, who is wise and understanding, that's what it's talking about. It refers to a specialist or professional who skillfully applies his or her expertise to practical situations. And folks, with all that the church faces in this day and time, we need to be specialists in the wisdom and understanding of God. We need to know how to apply that in the world we live in. So James is saying here, if you have wisdom, then demonstrate it. In other words, to show our wisdom through our good conduct, the way we live, and by our humility. Humility... The actual Greek word here would be translated meekness, is the opposite of everything we see in the first verses of this passage, verses 14 through 16, where it talks about worldly wisdom. True wisdom shows itself through a disciplined and deliberate application of God's truths in every situation of life, especially the difficult ones. That's where the test comes, doesn't it? When life gets tough, although I think sometimes because of the culture of ease and plenty that we live in, that can be a test to us too. You know, remember in the book of Judges where the people got in trouble when they were blessed. Remember that? This book of Judges, it's kind of this circular, repetitive thing that happens in the lives of the people of Israel. God blesses them. Life is good. Um, you know, it's easy. It, it, they're blessed. And, and as that happens, they get to the point where they don't need God so much anymore. I mean, why do you need God if everything's good, right? And what happens is a part of that is then this drift that happens in their lives toward the idols and the gods of the neighboring nations and they begin, well, they might keep worshiping God, but, you know, just to cover our bases, we better worship Baal and Molech and, and Asherah and a few, you know. And God, in His grace, sends people to warn them. Um, 
Hello? You need, to, you need to quit doing that. You need to come back to me and it's like, la, 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 la. And um, after a while, God says, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send a neighboring nation to oppress you because that seems to be the only thing that's going to get your attention and that's what happens. And then, you know what happens when we get in trouble? Oh, God. Right? That's what they did. They'd cry out to God and God would have mercy on them. And in the book of Judges, he would send a judge that would deliver them from the oppression they were under. And things would be good again. And then that downhill progression had happened and all over again. So, yes, our wisdom is tested in the difficulties of life. But I think in a culture that we live in where life is pretty easy and pretty good to us most of the time, that can be a test of our wisdom too, amen? Amen. So, um, true wisdom shows itself through a disciplined and, and deliberate application of God's Word in difficult situations, but really in all of life. It is a virtue born in strength of character based upon the truth of God's Word. Um, so, James first then deals with um, earthly wisdom. False wisdom is ground in earthly values. It's motivated, he says, by envy and selfishness. And he first mentions bitter envy. The Greek meaning is jealousy and contentious rivalry. It, it is seeing matters as me versus you, or us versus them, or that kind of attitude. It, it's the, it is the burning desire for preeminence and domination over others. Is, do you ever see that encouraged in the world we live in? The desire is so intense that it causes one to become embittered towards those who are more successful than you or that you perceive as standing in the way of what you want to get to or accomplish. Remember the comedian Buddy Hackett? He, he once said, I've had arguments with people, but I never carry a grudge. You know why? While you're carrying a grudge, they're out dancing. E. Stanley Jones says that bitterness is similar to a rattlesnake. If cornered, sometimes it will become so angry it will bite itself. That is exactly what the harboring of hate and resentment against others is, a biting of oneself. We think we're harming others in holding these spites and hates, but the deeper harm is to ourselves. Closely tied to this envy is the idea of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is translated from a single group, uh, Greek word. Um, and other than the New Testament, the only known use of the word was by none other than Aristotle. And he used it in reference to political factions whose only concerns was their own agendas. Well, I'm glad we don't have that going on anymore. <laughs> Selfish ambition. 
in reference to political factions whose only concern was their own agendas. It's likely that James had this meaning in mind when he wrote this, this letter. Someone told this fable. There was once an eagle whose ambition was to be the highest flying eagle in the Eyrie. There was, however, one eagle who was stronger and a higher flyer. One day the bird saw a hunter with a bow and arrow and said to him, I wish you to bring down that eagle up there. The man said he would if he had some feathers for his arrow. So the envious eagle pulled out some feathers. The arrow was shot, but it couldn't reach the rival bird because he was flying too high. The first eagle pulled out another feather, then another, until he had lost so many that he could no longer fly. And then the archer turned and killed the helpless bird. And the point is, if your ambitions are selfish, the one you will hurt the most by your actions will be yourself. And you know what? We're not supposed... It says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Um, You know what Paul said about boasting? Any of you remember? He said, let he who boasts, boast in the Lord. In God's sight, we have nothing to brag about. So, please excuse me bragging about my grandson this morning. I I repent. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We have a tendency to boast about all the wrong things, don't we? Sometimes. He said, don't deny the truth. And we live in a world where that's exactly what we want to do. We don't like to hear the truth because it doesn't fit our agenda a lot of times. Amen? You know, we don't, we don't necessarily like the things that God says, here's things you don't do, and here's the things you should do. And we, we kind of like to flip that around, don't we? And in the world we're living in, we've make, we're making more and more and more things, it seems, that God says we shouldn't do as things we should do. Where it has become what the prophet of old said, good has become evil, or good is called evil, and evil is called good. And if you stand for the good of God's word, then you may be called evil. So don't deny the truth, he said. And he says this, the, the source of this um, worldly wisdom is earthly. It's from the world. It's not from God. Get that straight. It's from the world. It's unspiritual. It's of the flesh. In fact, he said, it's of the devil. It's demonic. And he said, where you have bitter envy and selfish ambition, you also have disorder and every evil practice. 
You know, we, we've said sometimes misquoting, well, here, let me read the verse to you in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We've had a tendency to misquote that and say money is the root of all evil. That's not what the scripture said. It says it's the root of all kinds of evil. But James says where you have bitter envy and selfish ambition, you also have disorder and every evil practice. So he says those things are also where evil springs from. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. And he says these are worldly wisdom. If you want to get ahead, here is what you do. If you want to succeed in this world, this is what you do. And James says, and here's what it causes. Disorder and every evil practice. Aren't you glad James doesn't stop there? See, he goes on to tell us about the characteristics of heavenly wisdom, beginning in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. In Job chapter 28, verses 12 and, and 28, he says this, But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? And he said to man, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Paul writes, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all the treasures, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's in Jesus Christ. And, and he gives a, a, a checklist, as Gail said, of what Heavenly wisdom of godly wisdom looks like. And he says, first of all, it's pure. That means freedom from any hint of evil or that it's morally blameless. The distinguished pastor of the Brick Presbyterian Church in New York, Dr. Maltby Babcock, was approached by a physician, a member of his congregation, who was concerned about his health. Handing Dr. Babcock some theater tickets, he said, Take these. You need the recreation of going to this play. His pastor looked at them. Seeing that they were tickets to a play of the kind that he could not conscientiously attend, he said kindly, Thank you, but I can't take them. I can't go. Why not? The physician asked. Doctor, it's this way, he said. You're a physician. A surgeon, in fact. When you operate, you scrub your hands meticulously until you, they are especially clean. You wouldn't dare operate with dirty hands. I'm a servant of Christ. I wouldn't dare do my service with a dirty life. First Timothy chapter 5 verse 22 and the second half of that verse says, 
Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And we live in a world where there's pressure all the time, isn't there? To share in the sins of others. But God has called us to a different life, hasn't He? A life of purity, a life of holiness. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that refers to the fact that uh, the, the prophet is looking at the day when the people of Israel will be freed from Babylonian captivity. And we know that the Babylonian culture was a pagan culture. And God says to His people, Come out from among them and be clean. Don't share in the things of the Babylonian culture. He's saying the same thing to us today. Heavenly wisdom is pure. We do not engage in the sins of the culture we live in, but we determine with the help of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to keep ourselves pure. And then he says, the second thing that's true of heavenly wisdom is that it is peace-loving. It's peace-loving. A pure and godly wisdom is peaceable. Solomon wrote these words of wisdom in Proverbs 3.17. And he's speaking of wisdom here. Her ways are pleasant and all her paths are peace. The kind of peace James is describing is the kind that yearns to avoid factions and dissension. His or her attitude toward others is one that always looks for ways to show that they not only desire but also truly love to be at peace. Rather than being contentious and divisive, godly wisdom loves and promotes peace. We seek ways to bring about peace. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And in Romans chapter 14, verse 19, the Apostle Paul writes, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Godly wisdom is peace-loving. The next thing that's true of godly wisdom is that it is considerate. Um, there are times when a Greek word has no exact English equivalent. The Greek the word used as a gentle in this passage is such a word. Uh, the Greek lexiconographer Joseph Thayer says it defines that, that considerateness, it defines that considerateness that looks humanely and reasonably at the facts of a case. To be considerate. It defines that considerateness that looks humanely and reasonably at the facts of a case. Let's expound on that a little bit. The gentleness of a wise person is seen in the way that he or she takes great pains to make sure that he or she has gathered all the facts about a particular issue before drawing conclusions or rendering opinions. Have you ever jumped to a conclusion? What do they say? I've got three fingers pointing back at myself. How many times has a healthy fellowship within a church been disrupted or even destroyed by members 
of a congregation jumping to conclusions about a particular person or a particular issue. We've all seen it happen. Maybe we've been a part of something like that, unfortunately. And in situations I've been familiar with, it was a lack of wisdom, a lack of gentleness toward others, which resulted in, in people reacting often with anger and bitterness before they had all the facts. Instead of patiently waiting for all the pertinent information to be gathered and analyzed, people jumped to conclusions and made, their, made sure their opinions were heard loud and clear. Proverbs 18, verses 13 and 15. The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Folks, we need to be considerate and gentle with one another. And then James goes on to say, Godly wisdom is submissive. It's submissive. Now what, what James has in mind here is a person who is approachable and teachable. In other words, we don't say, well, there's nothing you can tell me. Well, I've got it all figured out. No, we're submissive to one another. We're approachable. We're teachable and even willing to be held accountable. A person with wisdom from above doesn't have to win every argument. To a person whose wisdom shows in their reasonableness, getting to the truth is more important than having the last word. Someone who is submissive is willing to learn from others. There is something you can teach me. We need to be submissive to one another in the body of Christ. We also need to be full of mercy. That's the next characteristic of godly wisdom. The wise are full of mercy and compassion. The Greek definition of this word mercy is kindness or goodwill toward the miserable and afflicted joined with a desire to relieve them. So mercy is more than just this feeling towards someone. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. Remember where it says, uh, well, James says this. If someone comes to you hungry and needing clothing and you say, well, God bless you. I hope you're clothed and well fed. We've done nothing for them, have we? No, true mercy desires not only to have this feeling of sympathy or empathy for them, but there's a desire to do something to relieve the situation. And hopefully we can take action upon that desire. God's mercy is described as not giving what we not giving us what we deserve. That's God's mercy to us. Not giving us what we deserve. What's the Bible tell us we deserve? It's not good. We're sinners. We deserve hell. But through Jesus Christ, we have the promise of heaven, right? Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Um, yeah, praise God. And wisdom exemplifies itself in that kind of mercy. 
not giving us what we deserve. In other words, sometimes we think what you deserve is nothing. What you deserve is no help. Well, I'm glad God doesn't treat me that way. We're to show others mercy. And then it says, godly wisdom is full of good fruit. Apples, oranges, pears, peaches. But the Scripture defines those things this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And guess what? Against such things there is no law. You can do those all you want to the full extent and the law won't care. That's the fruit that godly wisdom is full of. And then it says, godly wisdom is impartial. Unwavering or impartial. The Greek word here is... uh, I'm not a Greek scholar. A diakritos. And it carries two possible meanings. Again, unwavering and impartial. It can mean either one. So let's talk about what it means to be unwavering. Godly wisdom as unwavering. In James chapter 1 verse 6, the root word is used of one who doubts and waves like a boat on the rolling sea. Remember? It talks about that. Someone, you ask for wisdom, but you don't believe, you get it, you don't have faith, so, so you're like someone who doubts and, and we're like a, a ship being tossed on the ocean. Well, the, the Scripture says the wise do not waver in their judgments. They are steady. They do not think one thing one moment and think differently a short time later. Once they are sure that a viewpoint of course or conduct is sound, they stick to it. They do not vacillate. Of course, we base those decisions on the truth, don't we? So we're to be unwavering. We're also to be impartial. And the evil of impartiality is dealt with in James. We've talked about that already. Those with godly wisdom treat all individuals with love and dignity, regardless of their economic status, social standing, occupation, education, intelligence, appearance, color of their skin, or the language they speak. Right? That was an underwhelming response. (laughs) See, those kinds of things, all the things I just listed, do not influence our treatment of others, or they're not supposed to. We see everyone as a person created in the image of God and having infinite worth. Not always easy to do. In James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, just a reminder of where we've been already. If you're fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin. And we are convicted 
by the law as transgressors. And then, godly wisdom is sincere. In other words, it's without, in other words, it's without hypocrisy. A person who possesses wisdom from above is sincere in all things. They live consistently with what they claim. They don't say one thing and do another. They do, they, they do not criticize others for faults that they themselves possess. They make sure the log in their own eye is removed before they re- attempt to remove the speck in another's eye. And then James wraps this up by coming back to, to, the, to peace. He's, he mentions peace again. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So, so he returns to that. He says that if you enjoy the fruit of righteousness in your life, in the church or even in society, it requires peace. It requires peace. Righteousness only grows in the soil of peace. Strife, contention, disunity, division, these will produce only the disorder and evil that James speaks of when he talks about earthly wisdom. Peace is to righteousness as sun and rain are to growing juicy oranges. It takes both. Peace will only be a reality if peace is made by you and me. We're the peacemakers. We're the peacemakers. Thank you, honey. (laughs) If you want to be righteous and promote righteousness, we must first wisely pursue harmony and unity. Those things bring peace. We must do all we can to smother strife and contention by restraining unwise feelings and attitudes and vocalizations. <laughs> Romans 12:18 If it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone. And then Ephesians 4:3 Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Uh, As I close, I want to share this with you. Uh, Another pastor has encapsulated this passage this way. Knowledge can be memorized. Wisdom must think things through. Wisdom is the something that enables us to use knowledge rightly. Wisdom resists group pressure, thinks for itself, and uses God's insights to live and make decisions. Wisdom from above sees things through God's eyes and starts with purity of heart and ends with purity in a person's lifestyle. We need to listen to His wisdom and not wisdom from below. Remember, wisdom from above looks like this. It counts the cost and lives for the future. It lives with its, within its means. It follows the path of right living. It focuses on relationships first with God and then with others. It puts first things first. 
It knows to give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord. It says no to impulses. It chooses to lose to self and allows God to be in control. It lives a life of peace and harmony. It chooses to serve and be a doer of the Word of God. It says no to pride. It always presses on toward the goal of eternity. It produces a life filled with good fruit. It knows when to stop, walk, and pray before speaking. It understanding that it understands that faith plus works equals success in life. And remember that wisdom from below looks like this. It has a heart that's filled with the influences of the dark side. It is a life that is filled with self that is filled with self-centeredness and selfish ambition. It seeks whom it may consume. It seeks to focus on material possessions. It desires to walk over others to get its own way. It has a belief system that lives by animal instincts. It has a belief system that has no spiritual insight in it. It lives for evil purposes. It has a lifestyle filled with mayhem and disarray. It has a life filled with deception and distortion. It has a life filled with no deep relationships. It has a life filled with bitterness. It has a life not worth living. And we see that, don't we? People who have bought into the world's idea of wisdom and then they find that life is not worth living this way. We need to discern today which wisdom has taken root in our lives. The truth is, we adhere to one or the other. We need to determine today if we're going to allow wisdom from above to direct our lives or if we're going to let wisdom from below direct our lives. One brings satisfaction and blessing and a life in, or, and a life in, in order in the other Wisdom brings disarray and curses. Remember what God said? Here's the way you should live. I'm offering to you today blessings and curses. You can obey me and experience blessing. You can choose to disobey me and experience curses. One kind of wisdom brings satisfaction and blessing. The other brings disarray to our life and curses. And the choice is up to us. What do we choose? No matter what the world says about wisdom, what do we choose? Father, we come to you today, the author of wisdom and understanding, realizing that to know you, to fear you, to walk in your ways is wisdom. And I pray, Father, that in spite of the influences of the world around us and what they encourage us, to do and even approve of is not your way. Lord God, may we choose heavenly wisdom today. Wisdom that has that bears good fruit. Wisdom that is impartial. Wisdom that is sincere. Wisdom that is merciful and loving and kind. Oh God, may be that be the wisdom that's portrayed in our lives, and that will ultimately bring about the peace that leads to righteousness. Oh, may that characterize our lives and our church and our witness, I ask in Jesus' name.
Amen. Right? 